0: Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the DownLeak podcast, brought to you by the University of Georgia's Small Satellite Research Laboratory. I'm Graham Grable. I'm a mechanical engineer here at the lab.
1: Hey, I'm Kwa, the chief engineer here.
0: Hi, I'm Ryan, uh, the electrical lead here. And I'm Adam. I'm on the software and flight team. So we took a bit of a break last week, but a lot of stuff has been happening, and... I think a lot of us here would like to tell you guys a lot about what's been happening. Um, I'll start off with something that I did a couple of weeks ago. Um, I went with one of our lab members, Paul Keith, to the Athens Radio Club field day. And we both took a test to get our technician class ham radio licenses. And we both passed. So the good news on that is, is that we'll both be able to operate ground stations and we'll both be able to learn more about the radios and how we can communicate with our satellite. So we're hoping to get the rest of the team here uh, licensed on that. Uh, so, Graham, does having
2: a license mean technically you could start a radio station?
0: Um, yes and no. So underneath, like, the amateur band rules, you can't, Broadcast, so like your radio stations that you listen to now. If you're into Lance, you probably listen to 97.1 The River, the classic uh, rock station. Um, That's basically just broadcasting music, and underneath amateur radio rules, you can't do that. But on the other hand, you can host your own uh, radio station, Uh, not in the same sense as actual radio, but you can sort of have your own setup in your own house where you can communicate with other ham radio operators. So, in a sense, yes and no. Uh,
2: So, it sounds like there's not going to be a DJ Graham anytime soon. Uh, No, unfortunately not. Uh, But on the topic of transmitting things, uh, I was actually teaching some kids just from around Athens area, from like middle school and high school, using an Arduino, kind of how to transmit some information, just uh, short distances. And that was actually part of a field trip they took over... Uh, it was a group of 20-ish kids over three days, uh, 20 kids each day, different. But so, yeah, they just came in and we tried to encourage them to follow STEM fields.
1: Yeah, um, we definitely had a good time with the kids here. Uh, they were really excited about all the things that we do here. So um, on Graham's computer, we actually had KSP open, Kerbal Space program. And um, some of them actually know about it before they they came here at the lab and um, we made some cool rockets and most of them work uh, some don't but it's okay don't be discouraged. Uh, we also did um, I think we also did the 3D printer demonstration where we printed some cool stuff uh, for the kids to take home. Um, besides that, um, at the end of our sort of everyday tour, we also went outside and uh, flew our drones. Really cool. Uh, no one was actually flying; it was autonomous, which is the best part in my opinion. So is the best part because you made it, qua? <laughs> I mean, uh, sort of. I, I think it's pretty cool, but I think mainly because the kid thing is cool. I think that's what is the best part.
0: Yeah, a lot of the teachers around and teachers who brought the kids were really interested in what we were doing. And so we are looking into some really good and potential partnerships with some local schools to help out with outreach and help educate the local school children about all about space, physics, and all that fun stuff. And so, uh, shout out to actually the Clark Central High School. That's, uh, that's who actually came by the lab, uh, two weeks ago at this point. We had lots of fun. Yeah. W- one thing I want to say is, um, I was talking to, I was
1: talking to one of the, uh, 11th grader, uh, that came to the lab. And, um, uh, so he asked me, like, Hey, you know, like what got you into engineering and, and doing all this cool stuff. And, um, um, and I was just going over to talking about it, but he also said that, uh, um, hey, you know, I, I really want to do what you do, but it seems difficult. I don't think I can do it. Uh, and he was sort of being put off by the complexity of the problem we work here on. Yeah, that we work on here at the lab. Um, I just want to say that, you know, he I, I definitely think he can do it. Uh, he just he just has to go through the process, uh, go through the classes. Uh, but I think at the core, you know, anyone can do it. You just have to like it to keep doing it. So, Ryan, uh, I heard that you and Adam have been working on the uh, software-based uh, ground station. So, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Uh, yeah. So, um, so we were doing some research on uh, basically what hardware we were going to use for uh, transceiving on the ground station. And so, Adam uh, uh, found what's called software-defined radio, which is instead of having, you know, specifically designed hardware for a specific band, you could actually uh, use software to generate, you know, to generate your output signals and modulate everything. And then that way you could operate over like a huge, you know, a huge band. And then that, I mean, that vastly like simplifies uh, a lot of the chain that we would need.
2: Uh, Yeah. So I started researching software-defined radio and I found a few. One that... I'm using tutorials soul right now just to get a feel it's called GNU radio and it's mostly like there's a graphical user interface which makes it super convenient but the software defined radio part of it is basically all we would need for a ground station is the dish to reflect all the signal to one point so we can capture it uh, then that is captured by the antenna and then the antenna sends it to the wires but right next to the antenna we want to have something called a low noise amplifier and what that does is it boosts the signal strength without messing it up too much to send it further down the wires but then right after that we can just connect it straight to some kind of interface for for the low noise amplifier to the computer and those are called universal software radio peripherals but basically what it does is it lets your software defined radio on a computer talk to the hardware but on the software defined radio on your computer you can have tons of things like a uh, demodulator just it basically uh, converts whatever signals you're getting into zeros and ones for the computer to understand as well as a lot of other useful things and you can since it's software and not actual hardware you have to buy it's it brings costs down dramatically and it also allows for rapid development and you can change things on the fly and specifically to what you actually need it for so that allows you just to do a vast, like variety of things.
0: Yeah, I was telling Quad earlier today that it makes me feel kind of like a dinosaur, even though I'm I'm only 20. But I'm really used to troubleshooting or trying to figure out what's wrong with something by testing out hardware instead of software. So if something were to go wrong with software-based radio or software-defined radio, um, it would really be something different for me to kind of fiddle around with the software, with the code, to see what would be going wrong instead of fiddling around with hardware.
1: Yeah, uh, I think definitely uh, software-defined radio is, is definitely a good thing if we can um, get all the bugs figured out, get everything to work perfectly. Uh, but we just have to make sure that, you know, if we run into any problem uh, in the software, that we can diagnose and, and fix it in um, in a timely manner.
2: So the software-defined radio is just one way we can look at implementing the ground station, but hardware-wise, Ryan has come up with something he calls the LUNATIC module.
3: Yeah, so the LUNATIC, uh, it's actually an acronym. It stands for Low Noise Amplifier Transceiver Computer. So, essentially, it just uh, consists of all those components. I mean, those are things you would typically see in a ground station, but I was uh, trying to make it more integrated and be able to uh, fit... Directly onto our dish, essentially. So basically, it would be a low noise amplifier, and then uh, since we're using S band around 2.4 gigahertz, it would be a 2.4 gigahertz uh, hardware transceiver. And then that would go directly via, you know, like SPI or something to a single board computer like the Odroid, or I mean, during testing, we'd be using a Raspberry Pi. But what it'd be, it'd be like a pretty extensible system. So, I mean, like, it would be basically every if you want to change to a different uh, frequency band, all you have to, have to all you have to change is you know the transceiver and then well and then the impedance matching network to your antenna, because you have to change the antenna as well most likely. Um, so I mean it, it would be an easy way and like a very compact way of communicating with our ground station. So that would be basically uh, most of the ground station other than. the in- than the antennas, because all that we, we would have to run to our, uh, to our ground station server would be just an Ethernet cable from the uh, onboard computer, because that would handle, you know, packets, uh, you know, packing and unpacking packets, and then, you know, generally sending them around. So, yeah, I was hoping that would be a, uh, a nice and, you know, reusable way of uh, modularizing the ground station.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the doing the communication tests for this Lunatic module. We've slowly been having all the parts come in. Today we actually just had an 18-inch dish arrive into the lab, so we've been taking a look at how we're going to be putting that together and, and all that fun stuff. We've also had some transceivers. Um, what else have we had come in? We had a we had an S-band.
3: What? We had the uh, patch antenna. Yeah, we had mm-hmm.
0: an S-band patch antenna come in. Um, So a lot of good, uh, fun hardware for us to experiment and play around with. Hopefully we'll have some of those findings and uh, if it's feasible or not feasible um, pretty soon. So uh, if any of you are interested in the Lunatic module or what it is, um, hopefully we'll be able to have a lot of the information open source sooner or later as soon as we uh, pass it through our university lawyers and All that bureaucracy there. So look forward to that. So speaking of ground stations, uh, data rates, and all that fun stuff, and software-defined radio, NASA has actually been taking a look at software-defined radio for CubeSats. And so there was a research paper recently published on the NASA website uh, talking about how a -A KA-band software-defined radio could be integrated onto a CubeSat or a similar small satellite. And so, that would basically bring higher data rates down to the ground. And so, Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, so your Wi-Fi would be considered S-band and then a step up from that would be X-band and then a, a further step up would be Ka-band.
3: Actually, between between S-band and X-band, there's actually the C-band, which is what I think uh, TV satellites
2: use. And then there's KU. I don't know what that is. K... Don't know what that is either, but then KA band is finally where we get to where, what NASA's working on. And from what I can tell, S band is probably going to give us one megabit downlink. So I assume C band would give you 10 megabit downlink per second. X band would be 100 megabits per second. KU would be a gig per second. K would probably be 10 gigs per second. And KA is maybe 100 gig per second. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I'm pretty sure
3: I'm yeah. wrong. No, I mean, that's not really, I mean, that, that's not necessarily how it works. I mean, that's just dependent on, you know, your hardware, whether it's capable of modulating that much data. Um, and then like, I mean, typically, yeah, the, the higher frequencies do have higher data rates, but that's just because, you know, you can, you can pack more data into, you you can modulate more data.
1: Yeah. Uh, at higher frequency, you definitely can, can send um, more data more quickly over the air but uh, you definitely run into one problem, which is the, um, the gain for your antenna. So uh, when you have a high frequency, you have to go into a more um, uh, directional antenna, like uh, patch antenna. Or, and then on the ground, you have to do uh, helix for the, the patch uh, circular polarization. So uh, yeah, you definitely get more data, but you run into other problems like pointing accuracy and uh, ground station tracking.
3: Yeah, the pointing accuracy and the ground station tracking is definitely something we, uh, we were looking into. Cause I mean, if we're transmitting, we're not necessarily going to be able to point directly at, you know, the ground station, the depending on our power budget, which I mean, right now isn't looking too good, but that would be something that would be implemented in the Lunatic module. So that's, uh, something that'll be interesting to look into and test.
0: So I know one company that would love to have this KA band uh, software-defined radio is a company called Space VR. And basically what this company is doing is they are producing virtual reality videos from Orbit. And so they'll have... They're currently in talks, and I believe they've agreed with Pumpkin Inc. to produce a set of CubeSats which will produce these virtual reality videos. And so... Pumpkin's going to be putting a NVIDIA-K1 CPU-GPU combo in this CubeSat, so it's going to be p- very power-intensive. But in order to get VR video uh, down to Earth from orbit, you're going to need a very high data rate. And so I'm not exactly sure on what those plans are with Pumpkin or Space VR, but I'm sure Ka-Band would be lovely to have on that type of mission. You can actually uh, go to their website, spacevr.co, to check out all the good stuff they have. Uh, For $99, you can actually get unlimited access to all the virtual reality videos they put out, and so I think there's only 99 spots uh, available for that type of membership, so if you're interested in that type of stuff, if you have a new Oculus Rift or one of those Vives, uh, this would definitely be something good to have, just so you can visit space without actually going yeah that sounds
3: really awesome so are, are they uh planning to do so, some sort of like live stream or is it more of like just uh they just downlink uh some video and then uh do virtual virtual reality
0: from so there? i don't think there's any plans for live streaming they currently have some sample videos that they've done from high altitude balloons and those videos, I don't believe, were live-streamed, so I don't think in their current plan, they're planning that. Um, if they did, then that uh, data would need to be pretty high as well.
2: Yeah, so even if they don't downlink... E- so if they take video, even if it's only a 1080p, which is kind of the minimum you need for VR, then video downlink is just so much more intensive than static image downlink. So... I I actually can't imagine how much more data that would be.
3: I mean, yeah, like if you look at, uh, I think, with like YouTube videos at their bit rates, it's like, you know, one or two megabits per second, for maybe like a 720p video, maybe it's tw- maybe a 1080p video, and that's at like you know 30fps. But for like virtual reality, you need you need a higher frame rate, right? Like 60, probably.
0: Yeah, I know I was playing around with uh, the Oculus Rift uh, a couple years ago, and I still have it with me. But uh, some of the issues I found with like the original Oculus Rift was that screen door effect, whereas it sort of makes you nauseous a bit, but also low frame rates can really mess up your internal system, like how you feel uh, balanced. And so with 30 frames per second, I know that wasn't really enough for me to hold my uh my dinner down but i know that like the higher frame rates definitely helped me out so that is really going to be pushing the limits of data downlink yeah
2: yeah so the thing with youtube videos though that's that's one or two megabits per second of like data transmission just because youtube takes advantage of compression algorithms that make an image only load the things that are moving So if you go to a YouTube video that's highly randomized, such as static, you'll see that the quality actually decreases dramatically just because YouTube is actually having to transmit every single frame. So the frame rate drops and the quality drops. Usually, I think a 1080p video, uh, just a still image is maybe 32 megs for one frame. So if uh, SpaceVR wanted to downlink without using compression uh, algorithms uh, based like kind of how YouTube does it, they'd have to downlink 32 megs for every frame. And if they want to do 60 frames a second, that's 1.8 gigs they would have to downlink just for one second of video.
3: Yeah, that's incredible. They would definitely need something like, hey, Ben, to do something like that.
0: So you can say it's okay. That's a very good pun there, Adam. Uh, we're definitely fans of puns around here. Uh, but a lot of us have been playing pokemon go uh, it came out I think yesterday which would be Thursday um, two days ago yes two days ago so it was a, it's a lot of fun the servers have been going down a lot though but we've been catching lots of Pokemon
1: yeah I was really excited um, that night when it came out uh, I just downloaded it and sort of walked downtown at night at like 12 a.m I know I shouldn't but <laughs> I did and I catch uh, I, I caught a bunch of uh, Pokémon. Let's see, uh, Poliwax and and um, and some uh, Bellsprout on the what first night, which I was really proud of. Uh, were the we
2: polywags by the bars, since they were thirsty?
1: It might have been by the bar. <laughs> <laughs> they
2: wanted. They wanted a drink.
1: <laughs> so um, the lab has been taking uh, uh, lunch breaks. So instead of going out to eat, uh, we've been going out to uh, catch Pokemons now. <laughs> And it's extremely hot and humid True the past story. few days, but um, we, we have been taking trips and and um, just walk around campus, meeting new people, actually, who mm-hmm. also were out to catch Pokemons and made some good
0: friends. And uh, I think it's just, in general, uh, generally a great thing. Yeah, we're definitely going to be losing some weight with this one. <laughs> just going <laughs> outside, sweating it all off. Then going outside we'll c- at all? <laughs> yeah, going outside at all. We're, mo- we're inside at the lab most of the time anyway. Also, um, starting the second week of
1: um, August uh, some of uh, the members from this lab will be going to the uh, SmallSat conference in Utah. Uh, We will be meeting um, new people, uh, people who are passionate about uh, SmallSat, uh, as passionate about SmallSat as as we are. Um, Also we we will be um, seeing presentation regarding um, SmallSat subsystem, uh, what are the new technologies out there. We will also be meeting suppliers that we've been in contact with for uh, our project, uh, which is really
0: exciting. Uh, I'm really excited to meet everyone there. Uh, I think it's going to be a great experience. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to meeting up with a lot of the companies and suppliers there. I know we've been in talks with uh, some vendors here on supplying some of the parts for our CubeSat missions. So it would be fun to catch up with and meet uh, face-to-face with some of the people we've been actually just video chatting with or just emailing back and forth. Um, I know that SpaceX and NASA Ames are planning to be there, so those are, would be those are on top of my list on boost to visit and talk to.
2: Well, Elon Musk be there?
0: I don't think so. I think it's just going to be actually. I think it's actually going to be. Is, the, I think Gwyn Shotwell is going to be there, right? Yeah, and she's the uh, president of SpaceX.
1: Yes, very excited to meet her if I could. Do you think uh, Neil deGrasse
0: Tyson would be there? He has to be. He has to be. Oh, that would be so fun if he was. And Bill Nye, maybe. My life goal is to at
1: least one in my li- one time in my life shake hand with Neil deGrasse Tyson. What about Bill Nye? Also, Bill Nye.
3: I think a couple months back, a uh, few weeks, I think it was in May or something. Uh, yeah, Sean Carroll came by and gave a presentation uh, at Tech, and he went out for lunch. With the physics department. I wasn't there, but... <laughs>
1: oh, man. Sound yeah. like you really missed out on that. I
3: know. I missed out, <laughs> but it must have been some good pizza, though. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, where did they go? What was the, the pizza place? Do you know? I don't know. It might have been like uh, Rocky Mountain Pizza. I don't Ooh. know. It's a pretty good place. Definitely
0: sounds good to me right now. Yeah, I know. I'm starving, dude. Well, anyway, uh, we would love to see any and all of you guys at the SmallSat Conference in Utah, so uh, don't feel shy or anything. Uh, if you see one of us uh, from University of Georgia, to come up and talk to us. We would love to talk to you about space, CubeSats, or Pokemon Go, or <laughs> really anything else.
2: Hopefully we'll have shirts by then.
0: Yes. We, we have shirts now, but just uh, specifically for the lab. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I have a good selection of shirts at home t-shirts um polos yeah graphics shirts mm. uh other shirts a good selection of shirts in general
0: i'm happy for you kwa i'm glad you have shirts <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's where we'll we'll le- i think that's where we'll leave off uh for you guys this week thank you for tuning in be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so you never miss an episode thank you for listening see so, ya dude Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dam Brought to you by the University of Georgia Small Satellite Research Laboratory. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at UGA Small Lab. Until next time, over and out.